So good morning, everyone. I take this opportunity to begin laying out some of the practices. Some of the practices uh, that have been uh, recommended by the Buddha as being conducive to waking up to our true nature. Remembering what I uh, said last night, that the root condition of suffering that the Buddha realized, that which leads to conflict and distress, is a condition of fuzziness, not clear seeing, what the Buddha called avijja, ignorance. Because a quality of our attention is not clear, we then tend to make assumptions. We get hijacked, enchanted, mesmerized, by our thoughts, our perceptions, our opinions about ourselves, others, and the world. And through that enchantment, then, we're so busy getting somewhere, so busy getting rid of what we think shouldn't be here, that we overlook the jewel on our forehead. We overlook the treasure right here in our midst. We don't recognize what the Buddha called the original brightness, this luminosity, this undying, what the Buddha called deathless, peaceful, Radiance, which is, which is as at, which is at the core of every moment, every experience. The fundamental tool to dispel this darkness, this ignorance, this fuzziness is. Uh, One of the fundamental tools is what the Buddha called sati, or it's translated oftentimes as mindfulness. This word means to remember. The English word remember is quite interesting. It means to remember, to recollect, to call to mind. But I like the fact that it has remember which sets up a, a resonance with dismember. We get dismembered, fragmented, split. Our bodies over here, we lose touch with it. Our minds racing ahead. What how our emotions are recoiling, longing for, recalling. 
different aspects of our being, which are essentially not two, which are essentially part of one suchness, get fragmented. In the practice of sati, in the practice of mindfulness, the fullness is a lovely, also important part of the word. We're remembering, bringing back uh, a quality of cohesion, gatheredness, collectedness. So in general, our practice today is remembering that it's okay to be here. Reminding the heart that the treasure is not tomorrow. The treasure is not yesterday. That thoughts of tomorrow, thoughts of yesterday are all arising in this timeless present moment. Remembering to, to be interested, to be respectful, to give ourselves permission to be consciously here. This is a practice because we can be habituated. We can have tendencies to, well, here's not very important, but I've got to get to the sitting, got to get to the sitting, and we're bouncing off walls, tripping over things to get to the important thing. And we haven't been mindful, haven't noticed the sense of hurry, the sense of dread, the opinion that what's happening here is really not important. The important stuff is there. And it's not that we can just wave a magic wand and all our tendencies disappear. They don't. But mindfulness is honest. We can honestly acknowledge, ah, it's like this now. Mindfulness is that connectedness, connecting. This is what's remembering. It's connecting our experience to the ground of awareness. It's a practice. And the famous teaching on this quality, what the Buddha called the foundations of mindfulness, the Buddha said, This is the one way, ekayana maga. Sometimes it's translated as one. I don't know about that translation. Ek. Ka means one, yana, one way, maga, path. It's the pathway back to the one. It could, sometimes it's translated the only way. Our way is right, your way is wrong. It's, it's the way back to unification, the way back home. <coughs> it's a one way. It, 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 it takes you to one destination. I prefer that to only way. That sounds a bit getting puffed up. Ekkayanamaga. This is the direct way, the pathway back home, the pathway to the one. He's talking about sati, mindfulness. This is the direct way, oh monks, for the purification of beings, for the passing beyond sorrow 
and lamentation, for the cessation of pain and distress, for the attainment of the transcendent path. That's the path. Transcendent means that leads us to taste and know that undying, unshakable suchness that's always here, that treasure that we miss when we're too busy thinking it's somewhere else. This is that direct way for the cessation of pain and distress, for the attainment of this transcendent path, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. Today we'll be focusing primarily on that first foundation. It's very important. Important part of our way home, the foundation of mindfulness of the body. Because we get so mesmerized by our thoughts and opinions about what's important and what's not, and disconnected from the suchness, from the actuality of our experience. The Buddha made this first foundation of mindfulness, this first frame of reference, this first training to gather back into our awareness this experience of embodiment. And rather than being a conceptual reference like Am I male or am I female? Am I tall or am I short? Am I beautiful or am I ugly? Am I uh, got a good body or do I have a bad body? The way the, the mindfulness of the body is a direct connection with embodiment, which is form. Can we be mindful now of the form, the hardness and weight of our form? It presses through gravity on the cushion. Can we have a moment of mindfulness? The experience of our body being connected to this ground of noticing, ground of awareness. So we are mindful of the body sitting, the pressure for a moment. The sense, how do we know we're sitting? Well, someone told me I was. We know, we we can be mindful and notice. How do we know if we're sitting up? When we lose mindfulness, sometimes we don't realize we've leaned way over to the left. Or if we lose mindfulness, we get too sleepy, we fall over. We realize we thought we were sitting and we were on the floor. Mindful, it means we recognize, we can now recognize, can't we? I'm sitting. We can be mindful of leaning a little forward. How do we know that? We just know it. How do we know if we're leaning a little to our right or a little to our left, a little back? Establishing mindfulness of the body. Sitting. We're going to be practicing the 
technique that the Buddha himself used on the night of his own enlightenment, the mindfulness of the in and the out breathing, as a method for deepening, maturing, ripening, fulfilling mindfulness of the body, which leads to, to refreshing the heart, which leads to steadiness of the heart, which leads to what's called samadhi, or a gathered state of meditation. And when the heart is composed, when we're not just diffracted, distressed, agitated, the mind and body, thinking mind, the body, the aware heart, not all just split. When there's gatheredness, the Buddha said, when the heart is really gathered, it sees things the way they are. And when our heart sees things the way they are, then it penetrates. It recognizes a thought as a thought. It recognizes desire and aversion and happiness and suffering for what they are, moods which come and go. When our heart is composed, it sees things as they are and then can recognize this unmoving, unshakable, underlying, okayness, beauty. In the course of the the day, we're going to be uh, coaxing, encouraging ourselves to slow down and be willing to be mindful of the body as it's standing. How does it feel to stand, wait in line? How does it feel to serve ourselves food? How does it feel if we're mindful? What is it? What is the actual experience? Can we be with the experience of putting on our shoes, taking off our shoes, when we leave the shrine room, when we enter the shrine room? We'll notice habits that might well up. Oh, hurry up. You're not getting there. Come on. You only have a week. What are you doing? The Mayan calendar is ticking down, buddy. We've got to get enlightened quick. Hurry up. You can't spend time on your shoes. <sighs> if that wells up, okay. We notice this welling up of agitation, welling up of being a hurry. We, in a hurry, we touch it. Let it be. Feel how it ripples through the body. In this cultivation of mindfulness of the body, the Buddha gave us another hint. He encouraged us to dispel or to subdue longing and distress with regards to the world. Longing, you know, wanting wanting to, I've got a week to make that decision about my future. That's a big one. Longing, distress. 
what am I going to do about my dad is not well about our situation because it's not working. Distress, longing distress. We all have, I'm sure, lists of what we want, of what we don't want. The Buddha's not demonizing that. But he's saying for a time, if we come in here and just try to figure it all out, guess what? Most of us just end up thinking, 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 and then our reality is so created by uh, the grammar of our language. We're enchanted by language, by the words, thinking we're in touch with life, but actually we're just in touch with all these views and opinions. So when the Buddha teaches in this first part of our training to subdue, to overcome, to let go of longing and distress with regard to the world, he's saying, can we learn how to also say, not now? To put that aside, we can come back. There are questions that we do need to come back to. It's it's important. It's not that we're just in denial. But be able to say, not now. Let that compulsive having to figure it out maybe come and then let it go. Not now. And then reestablish ourselves. But what is now? How's the body now? Then we maybe feel that uncomfortable feeling in the body. When we're not used to staying with the, the bare reality. But we practice a moment of relaxing with and being present with just how it is to sit, to stand, to walk, to eat. Sometimes people think, oh, you guys on meditation, fine, carry on. Just check out while the world's going up in flames, run away, cowards. You're afraid of relationship. Well, to me, in meditation, we have the opportunity to cultivate primary relationship. We have the opportunity to cultivate the secret, the secret of skillful relationship. We have the opportunity to really cultivate being directly related in contact with body, with our life. We can have all sorts of longings. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if all beings were at peace? Wouldn't it be nice if we all could get along? Wouldn't it be nice if we were peaceful and could appreciate all the blessings that we have? That's all true. But while we're doing that, do we actually know how to be patient and in relationship with a tired body? With walking to and fro? With the reality of that we breathe in and out to sustain our life? So I encourage us that we're cultivating relationship, but primary, primary relationship. We learn how to do this, how to allow the mind to receive the experience of sitting and walking and standing and lying down. And as we learn how to do that, then we can direct that to relating to another. We can direct that to relating to a task at hand. 
we can practice that. So we're practicing relationship. In the sitting practice, when the Buddha defined, when he laid out this practice of mindfulness of the body, he encouraged us to sit down and consciously establish mindfulness right before us. Establish the quality of being present, of not forgetting. So it's combined, mindfulness is always combined with the effort not only to have one moment of mindfulness, but to then renew it so that our mindfulness doesn't fade. That's why we practice it, so that we don't forget. So we forget, we begin again. We find ourselves lost in a thought. We begin again. How do we begin again? Notice, and this is a, a trick, uh, not a trick, uh, a skill, a tip from the Buddha. How do we begin again? A thought. Thought's not the enemy. It's when we're not aware of thought, not skillful with thought that we get in trouble. But a thought brings us back. A thought can. It's a certain kind of thought, what the Buddha called vitaka, or an applied thought. A thought like, now. What's happening now? It's a thought that directs us to be open and receptive to this moment. So the thought, now I'm sitting, that's the thought. That's the yang. That's the directing of our attention. In this case, to the body, to this moment, sitting. If there's only that, there's only the yang, then we're, we're, it can get, our practice can become bullying. Get back there. Come on. I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. Get back there. So you keep pushing the mind back, but it slips off. The heart gets rebellious. It doesn't like to be bullied. My heart doesn't like to be bullied. I don't know about yours rebels. The yang is useful for waking us up, but the Buddha always connected it with another quality that he called vichara, is the exploring, the receptive, the yin. It's like the male and female aspects of thought go together. So a thought directs us here, now, and then whatever you want to... The Buddha called it vichara, but it's that part of us that feels out, that receives. So I'm sitting, but then what's feeling out? Notice how your mind can feel out, oh, the pressure of the buttocks on the floor, the cushion, the bench, the chair. It can feel out. It can notice, oh, there's a pulsing. This body's not just a chunk, it's pulsing. As we feel out, we'll notice, whoa, this body's expanding, contracting. It's breathing in, breathing out. 
So vitaka, or the applied thoughts, brings the attention here, but then when we receive, this is so key in meditation. Yes, it takes effort to bring the attention, but then there's a, a receptive part. That's what allows bonding. That's what allows connection. That's what allows relationship. When relationship only has vitaka in it, it's like when someone's saying, how are you? Well, you feel pinned to the wall. They, they don't, they're not waiting to hear how we are. They're going on and on and on and on and on. You say, how are you? And then one waits and listens and receives. And you notice, oh, wow, you're pale. Oh, you need to rest. So we take our attention, direct it to the body with a thought, now I'm sitting, and receive these two qualities. And to notice that this body is breathing in and out, the Buddha said the mindfulness, the, if we allow our awareness to resonate, with the in and the out, it has, it has fruits, it has benefits, it's calming. It allows our energies to balance, stabilizes the, the heart. And notice it's unifying the different streams of our being. The thought says, I am sitting, breathing. The thought directs us to the body. The heart, that which knows, feels it out, receives it. So that means the thinking part of us, the bodily, embodied part of us, the knowing, feeling, sensitive part of us are all coming together. The Buddha was very practical. He says when we're starting, he gave graduated teachings on mindfulness of the breathing. He was very practical. He said, first, just even notice whether you're bringing, breathing in long or breathing out long. If you're really lost, take a deep breath, a quiet breath, but a deep breath. Notice if you take a deep breath that you find yourself here. Ah. Deep, quiet, slow breath out as we're mindful, as we're attentive to being alertly with the long in-breath, the long out-breath as we relax and let go of wanting to be somewhere else, wanting to get rid of stuff, having a moment of being here consciously. So as we're breathing in and out, we can notice whether it's a long breath. Notice where, how do we know where we're breathing? How do we actually experience the breathing? One place is at the nostrils. We can notice the breath touches that sensation. As the breath goes deeper, we'll notice that the chest 
raises and falls. The abdomen also is involved. The whole body's breathing. If you're really new to meditation or quite agitated, at first you might find it useful just to be mindful of the whole breath, mindful of the breath coming in, the nostrils, mindful of the breath in the chest, mindful of the breath at the end of the in-breath in the belly, mindful of the long out-breath, just being aware, know that we're breathing in, know that we're breathing out. Can we sustain presence, alertness throughout the whole in-breath, one in-breath? Can we be present for the actuality of one out-breath? In time, as, as one starts to get more composed, you might find it feels more natural to allow the breath, the awareness of the breath to settle in one place that's most in a particular moment prominent for you. For some people, like my teacher Ajahn Chah, enjoy being with the breathing at the nostrils. It's a sharp sensation. You can notice when the breath comes in, that coolness. Notice the sensation of the breath going out. It's a little warmer because it's been warmed up in the lungs. Being present. You can allow your attention to settle, not in a rigid way. It's like the center of the attention is in one place, like the nostrils, and still there's a relaxed, wide awareness that can still notice the rest of the body around it, but the central feeling, say, for example, might be at the nostrils. Other people find it more comfortable to be with the breathing at the chest. Some prefer being with the movement, the rising and falling of the abdomen. Doesn't matter. It might even move from time to time. But as one uh, stays with the actual experience of the breathing, the sensations in one place, this sometimes called the short breath, because the attention is not moving. It's 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 a bit like a post. They say on the beach, when the wave comes up, the wave goes down. The, 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 the tide, the post stays steady, the quality of our presence is steady, and then we're with the flowing in of the breath, flowing out of the breath in one area. Stay with that sensation. The heart wanders a thought brings us back and then we again receive, feel out so that the whole of our being is here encouraging, coaxing, inviting ourselves to learn to relax here, to be okay here. Even if the sensations are difficult to keep remembering, ah, the Buddha taught that it's always here and now that the deepest treasures are found. This use of thought is, is called moderating thought. 
rather than thought to figure our problems out, which there's a place for that, but to try to figure this out and figure that out, we're using thought very sparingly. It's thought that just reminds us to be here. It's a thought, for example, like in, out. A thought that reminds us to be with the in-breath, the out-breath. So that thought is quiet. Or it might get our attention, but then it dissolves so that what's left is the heart being with, feeling out this moment. So it's not demonizing thought, it's training thought to be a servant, a tool, an aid to remind us to be here. It's like, for example, if you're doing a job, sometimes you talk to yourself, you say, steady, steady. You don't want the thought to get too loud and in the way or you lose touch with what you're doing. You're doing some intricate job with, I don't know, cutting something out, fixing something, doing something. Thought can just keep adjusting. Oh, relax, relax, steady, steady. It's moderating thought. Sometimes a word, just a word, can help us do this. In Thailand, the word that was used very much for helping us remember to be mindful was the word for Buddha. B-U-D-D-H-O, Bhutto. It's not the historical Buddha. Bhutto, it's in nominative case, it means this Buddha, this awakened one. It just means awake. So in Thailand, it's, it's what's called a mantra. It's a word, but again, a word that just keeps reminding us to be here. So for example, if you wish, you can try this. Or if you don't like this word, you can even use a word like in and out when you're breathing. Or a word like peace. It's a word that just helps us stay present, helps direct us. Bhutto can be, as you breathe in, there can be a quiet bud, B-U-D, bud. As you breathe out, a quiet to. It's a little bit like if you're driving in a rainstorm and you can't see and you put the windshield wipers on. Each time it goes, the windshield wiper clears the screen. Ah, you can see again. And it gets all fuzzy and then when it comes back the other way, clears the screen. Bhutto can be like that. Let it be quiet. Bud, when you breathe in. It's a sound but the sound will mix with and dissolve into the whole body and remind you to be awake. Toe on the out-breath. Or you might even feel like you're getting quiet enough, you're quiet on the in-breath because you're still awake, and then you just have a quiet butto on the out-breath. You can explore. Meditation's a lot about finding our way by exploring. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. We lose it, we begin again, we lose it, we begin again. Make it fun. The training of our attention to be here. You can explore using a word to help us do it. But we're little by little weaning ourselves off compulsive, habitual, exasperating, never-ending thinking. It goes on and on. Not hating that, but training ourselves with a word, with a reminder.
to keep coming back now. being very patient, having all the time in the world for one mindful in-breath, Bud, one mindful out-breath, To. <coughs> Reminding ourselves to relax. We're not trying to get somewhere else. Treasures here. Little by little, inviting the heart to trust. Trust in this Bhutto, this wakefulness, which is our nature. Trusting and resting in awareness. This is our work today, whatever we're doing, encouraging one moment of appreciating the suchness, the how it isness of just now.
before I give some brief walking meditation instructions, uh, one more announcement. We all have different situations with regards to our health, our energy, what we're working with. The schedule by it's not going to be right. For some people it's too easy. You call that a retreat. Why don't we just call it a resort holiday? (laughs) For others, you know, my goodness. All morning, all afternoon, all night. Concentration, this is a concentration camp. (laughs) One uh, friend of ours, uh, a monk, Ajahn Sajito said, all retreat schedules are like uh, lumpy jackets that don't fit anybody. But they help us just to find a way to do stuff together. But if, if, if you need to rest, then, then, then be mindful. Know that. And if you need to rest, then rest. Be mindful of that. See the result. And then if you start feeling guilty, see that. Or check out. If you're a little tired, you can stay a little longer with that feeling and see what that's like. Explore this. But what we do encourage is it's very important to come for the morning instruction so that you stay in line with what we're doing and also the evening Dhamma talk. So even if you're really tired, try to arrange your resting around so that you can be here for the instructions in the morning and for the uh, evening Dhamma talk. Be a part of as much as you can, but just so you don't feel bad if one needs to, to rest. Sometimes people just bring deep exhaustion. It's also important starting tomorrow and the next day we'll be seeing everyone on Monday and Tuesday in small groups. That's very important to come to. Small little groups of five or six people so we're checking in how everybody's doing. That's very important too. We have a sitting and walking period, you'll notice, for those of you who are new. uh, The walking is the the same principle. Uh, Mindfulness is not... uh, Mindfulness, one can be mindful of everything. Mindful of sitting, mindful of walking, mindful of lying down, mindful of being agitated. One is just appreciating, bringing into awareness how it is. So sitting is very useful for cultivating mindfulness, but also all the postures, walking. So walking meditation is what the Buddha called jankama, which means walking to and fro. There's different styles, and some of you have learned different ways of walking, and and you're free to use the style that you wish. But we can, I can say something about uh, you know, the, the, the traditional way that we were that we were taught is that you, you you find a path either inside. I think there's a a few walking rooms, yeah, or, or outside. At least you know now it's, it's very beautiful. A path of maybe 15, 20, 25 paces, a straight line. Preferably not climbing a mountain, or preferably not uh, you know jamming up with somebody else, in other words, cutting in front, you know, make it so that we don't have traffic jams. But walking to and fro, 
and where one is at one end of the path and it's marked by a stone or a tree or a bush or a leaf or a stick and then one consciously is mindful of walking from here to there mindful of pausing turning walking back so rather than walking to get somewhere one way of putting it is walking to arrive at where we've always already been walking learning to be present for the experience of walking this balances the sitting this allows energy to move some people in in the burmese tradition for example they they've trained a lot with very slow walking if you wish to, to do that, that that's all right slow it way down uh, our teacher, Ajahn Chah, encouraged us just to find a normal pace. But I'll let you find, sometimes if you're so agitated, if you walk too slow, you'll explode. And you, sometimes you want to walk faster just to get the energy going. That's okay. But just be aware of that, mindful of that. Sometimes we need to walk a little faster, a little slower. And again, can we be mindful of the body walking, the feet touching the earth? And again, this word, butto, can help if you wish to explore it. In Thailand, for example, we, we were trained to, when each foot touches a quiet butto, butto. And, and the word just reminds us, then it dissolves, leaving presence, leaving interest leaving awareness that's receiving the body, receiving the light, receiving the sound, receiving the present. One doesn't have to use Bhutto, but it still, remember, is helpful to let thought remind you when you're getting lost, what is it that brings us back a thought that'll bring us back. So I can't really take the... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.